Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Mass in All Access podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you live to break down the breaking news that came across our Twitter feeds mere moments ago. And that is that Trey Mancini, veteran for the Orioles, has been traded to the Houston Astros in exchange for a package that, according to Rockabaco, includes multiple pitchers. We are going to, on this podcast, take your comments live on YouTube and on Facebook, and we're going to react to the news as we dissect and embrace the news of Trey Mancini heading to the Houston Astros. Yeah, we apologize if we are a little bit out of breath. Paul and I were in the studio just getting some normal work done today and probably left, what, about 10 minutes before the news broke that Trey Mancini was traded. So we get home, turn right back around, get in the car, come back, and have been rushing to get to this news ever since, obviously, it is massive breaking news for the Baltimore Orioles, and we're going to break it all down. You could be listening to this podcast after the fact, in which case, right now, at the start of this podcast, we don't yet know the return for Trey Mancini. All which is kind of weird. It is. That we don't know it quite yet. All that we know is from Rockabaco that it includes multiple pitchers, but hopefully by the end of this podcast, we will have a better idea as to the return. But let's react to the trade First and foremost, we're right now we're getting reports that uh, Trey Mancini is hugging teammates in Globe Life Field right now as he is saying his goodbyes. This was expected in a lot of ways, Brendan, because we talked about it on our last podcast. The stars were kind of aligning for Trey Mancini's exit. He plays first base. He's 30 years old. He's on the final year of a deal where he has a mutual option for 2023 that is unlikely to get picked up by both sides. And this is one of those instances where the Orioles had to put aside the emotional aspect of this trade and make the best baseball decision. Yeah, and we don't want to downplay the fact that this is an emotional trade. Yeah. We, we've said all along as we're breaking down this Trey Mancini deal that a potential Trey Mancini trade is impossible to separate emotion from. This is not just another player. This is somebody that means so much not only to the organization, but to the city of Baltimore. And we can break down all of the baseball reasons that we want on this podcast, Paul. We did it last week when we were looking at the trade deadline saying, okay, it makes sense from a baseball perspective to trade Trey Mancini. He had a mutual option for next season that more than likely was not going to get picked up. So if the Orioles didn't trade Trey Mancini right now, then more than likely he's still not here next season. But the reality is, even if this trade makes sense from a baseball perspective, it's still really tough. It is. Given what Trey Mancini means to the Baltimore Orioles and to the city of Baltimore as a whole, it kind of felt like whatever they would get in return. We're not sure what the return is yet. We just saw a very confusing tweet from Ken Rosenthal, that this is a three-team trade and the Rays have acquired a pitcher from the Astros. We still don't know what the Orioles have acquired. But as I was saying, kind of no matter what the Orioles acquire, it's probably going to feel like it's not enough for somebody who is seen as kind of the heart and soul of this team. And if you are new to Trey Mancini's story, 
probably not the right podcast, but if you are new, we'll recap it real quickly because also you forget over the years just the kind of journeys that these players go through to get to this point. He was an eighth-round pick out of Notre Dame in 2013, was really on the fringes of the Orioles' top 30 when he was coming up through the system, hit every stop along the way, which isn't rare, but for a guy to hit every stop along the way, he truly got to experience Orioles' fandom at every single level. He went through Frederick, which is now no longer an Orioles affiliate with the Keys. He was built through this system, was drafted by the previous regime, and then when the Orioles he debuted in 2016 and looked good, hit a home run in front of his mom in what became a viral moment, was a rookie on a pretty good team that where he was really not asked to do too much, but it was a fun little story of this homegrown player who came up through their system. At the time, Chris Davis was really their first baseman. They had to try him out in one of the corner outfield spots, which he wasn't entirely comfortable with. He embraced it. And then the Orioles go through the dramatic rebuild of 2018 into 2019. And Trey Mancini very quickly had to go from fun rookie and fun fun young player who was overperforming to veteran in this clubhouse. And he embraced the role pretty much immediately. And he was a key piece on some teams that, frankly, did not win a whole lot of games. He was a piece of the 2019 team. Maybe the best player was not an all-star that year as John Means got the all-star nod. But he ended up having a terrific second half. And he ingratiated himself in the community really starting in 2018 when his relationship with Mo Gabba, the superfan, became more public. He spent the all-star break in, 2018, in 2019, I should say, with Mo and became a fan favorite pretty much immediately. One of the more well-known players on a team that was really in transition in 2019. 2020, we all know, he undergoes surgery for stage three colon cancer right as the baseball world is shutting down. He wakes up out of surgery to the news that baseball was put on hold for two weeks, misses the entirety of the 60-game 2020 season as he undergoes chemotherapy treatments, also starts dating former Mass and All Access co-host and now current fiancé of Trey Mancini, Sarah Perlman. Um, They are getting married in the offseason, and he's been widely loved and known in this community because of what he gives back to the community Fights his way back to get onto the field in 2021, plays 130-some games, and ends up having a pretty solid year for somebody who just went through chemotherapy and stage 3 colon cancer, and this year was off to a terrific start. It's, it, it is a incredibly, <laughs> uh, in, incredible journey, really, for Trey Mancini to go through the kind of highs and lows that he has over the last several years, and somebody who made a name for himself, who maybe is not the most talented Oriole of the past decade or two, but was a good player on the field. And it's a cliche, but he was a, a standout in the community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, not that anybody forgets Trey Mancini's story, but he's almost made you forget this year with just how well he has played. It's remarkable that somebody who has gone through the things that Trey Mancini has gone through has come back over the last few seasons and has played the level of baseball that we have seen from Trey Mancini as we continue to get some of the details here as Ken Rosenthal is reporting some of the details of this trade. The Orioles are believed to get multiple pitchers back. The first pitcher that has been reported so far is Seth Johnson. He is a 23-year-old pitcher at high A. He has been 
fantastic so far in his first two minor league seasons. He was a college pitcher out of Princeton. In his first season in 2021 at low single A, he had a 2.88 ERA in 23 games. And then at uh, age 23, he was had an ERA of three at high single A. He went to Campbell University. Yes. Was at the went to Princeton Campbell affiliate. Was at the Princeton affiliate. I thought he went to Princeton for college. He went to Campbell yes. for college. The 2019 Princeton Rays, which is a member of the Appalachian League. Yes. Was a former ball. former first round pick. Yep. 40th, 40th overall. overall by the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the thing with Johnson, he is about to undergo Tommy John surgery, according to Ken Rosenthal. So the Orioles not getting a, a project here in Johnson, but somebody that we will have to wait at least a little bit to see on the mound at an affiliate. Like I said, Rosenthal also reporting that the Orioles will be getting another player back in addition to Johnson as well. Chase McDermott. And we've just is, learned that. We've just learned that as well. Jeff Passan reporting this. He is 23, turns 24. In three weeks, he is a starter. He's a righty. He's a former fourth-round pick out of Ball State University. So far in high A Asheville, he's got a 5.50 ERA in 19 games. Ten of those were starts, 72 innings. Complete very high strikeout rate, 14.3 Ks per nine, but a 1.389 whip is not terrific. And, of course, that 5.50 ERA isn't great either. So a 23-year-old who's in high A ball, about to turn 24, in Chase McDermott is one of the two pitchers heading the Orioles' way. Yeah, two high strikeout guys. Seth Johnson with nearly 14 strikeouts per nine at high single A. He also had nearly four walks per nine, so maybe command a bit of a question there. We apologize for the bit of a choppy scouting report here. We are getting this information live on the podcast as we are breaking this Trey Mancini trade down. So we are doing everything we can to bring you as much information on these two pitching prospects as we can. But it seems like that is the return for Trey Mancini. Two pitching prospects that are still a little bit lower down in the minor league system. No guys that we will see in Baltimore so far this year, but could be at least based on some of the stats that we have seen so far in our very rough scouting report in our first look here. Two guys that could be contributors in the future. And Chase McDermott is not a top 30 prospect, but Seth Johnson is the sixth best prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays system. Yeah. So despite that injury news that you mentioned, Brendan, he is still highly regarded in a pretty good Tampa Bay Rays system right now. Yeah. So sixth best prospect in the Rays system is, is a fantastic return. I don't think either of us thought, no. I know there is the injury, which would bump him down on a theoretical top 30, but yeah. that's a big return. I would tend to think that right now the top 30 prospect lists are a little bit thin because they have not yet added the 2022 MLB draft pick. So assuming that the Rays' recent draft picks get added to that list, he could get bumped down. And also, he could get bumped down during the midseason ranking simply because of the injury, and that creates a question mark. And I think that's partly why the Orioles were able to get such a highly regarded prospect is because of this injury. So if he had not had the injury, they probably would have had to settle for a little bit less. So it's a three-team deal in which the Orioles net two 23-year-old right-handed pitchers. Yeah, and getting some comments on Facebook and YouTube here, kind of wondering why the Orioles would get an older high A pitcher who is now undergoing Tommy John surgery. And I think you just answered it right there, Paul. It's somebody who they would not have been able to get had this injury not occurred because that's a very highly touted prospect. 
The only reason he's still in high single A is because he was a college pitcher, but this is a first-round pick who the Orioles clearly believe has a ton of potential. You can look at just some of the base numbers as we are doing right now about his minor league stats. Nearly 14 strikeouts per nine innings. Again, maybe some command questions here or there, but the Orioles just got a very talented prospect that... Obviously, they believe they will be able to work with through this injury. Hopefully, we'll come back better after this injury as well. And that's somebody with a lot of potential who, again, you wouldn't have been able to get had this injury not occurred. And this makes sense because during our draft podcasts, during their draft podcasts of really the last three years, we've talked about how the Orioles have shied away from taking pitchers early in the draft. And what they have done instead is wait for pitchers later in the draft and then worked on their development system in order to get those guys up to speed and to really squeeze more juice out of guys that you would not expect a whole lot of, going with the safer position players. And then when they need to bolster their farm system and add arms to their farm system, they acquire them via trade. That's what the Orioles did here. And the expectation, I think, is once the Orioles get a little bit closer to competition, I know there are only a few games out of the AL wildcard spot, but they are still 500. Like we said, there are reasons to believe that there will be some regression in the second half. The Orioles will likely, over the next few years, be trading their position player prospects for more proven pitchers. This is one of the instances where the Orioles trade one of their position player MLB players, one of their veterans, for pitching prospects. So what they're doing is they're bolstering the system now, and they're getting the pitchers that are guys that were drafted highly by other teams— but the Orioles went with the safer position players. They're acquiring them and hoping that they can develop them. So it's it's what we expected Mike Elias to do in terms of acquiring pitchers. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Paul. At least judging this based on the top 30 prospects, we don't know a ton about these guys. But getting the sixth-ranked prospect in the Rays system, I understand the injury, but Tommy John is not a death sentence for a pitcher. We have seen pitchers come back and still perform well from Tommy John. And clearly the Orioles have done their homework and determined that he will be fine after Tommy John or else they would not have made this move. But I'm at least my initial reaction is kind of a surprise that they were able to get a prospect of that caliber in a very good system. You get the sixth ranked prospect. It is a system that came into this season according to MLB Pipeline, it's the third best farm system in all of baseball. Yeah. However, it has seen some large graduations. Shane Boz coming into the season was their top-ranked prospect. They had Josh Lowe. They had Taj Bradley, who is still in their system. Vidal Brujan, uh, Greg Jones. Bradley is still in their system. Greg Jones is still in their system. They've also acquired Curtis. They have Curtis Mead in their system and Carson Williams. So these are a lot of names of top-raised prospects that probably are not familiar to too many fans. But the thinking here is that Seth... Johnson, who is the sixth-ranked prospect, is just on the outside of that. So it is a still a very talented system, even though we've seen some graduation. So where he'll fit into the Orioles system, we will yet to see, and we also are waiting the 2022 Orioles draft picks, like a Jackson Holiday, to be added to the farm system rankings as well. But I tend to think, just based off his pedigree as the sixth-ranked prospect right now in the race system, Brendan, that he is at least going to be ranked in the top 30. And once oh, you yeah. add a Jackson Holiday and some of the other top prospects that Dylan Beavers that they drafted, maybe factor in the injury, maybe the 15th ranked prospect on I would, the low end. I would the say Orioles top system. 15 would be low. I think probably top 12. 
we'll I see. Mean, right now, I know these rankings will change, but right now I would imagine that he would be a higher-ranked prospect than a Mike Bauman. Yeah. And Mike Bauman is the 11th-ranked prospect in the Orioles system right now. Yeah. So I would imagine that Seth Johnson slots in ahead of that. I don't know if he'll be a top 10 prospect, but I could see him around the range of a Connor Norby. Yeah. So... This is a first-round pick. This is somebody with a lot of pedigree. A lot of pedigree, clearly, and the injury is a factor, but it's partly how the Orioles were able to get to him. I think, Brendan, I mentioned that the Orioles are mere three games out of the wild-card spot, the last wild-card spot in the American League, with two months of the season remaining, and they're at an even 500 right now as they begin a series in Texas, and for all the talk of the kind of incredible season that they're having, this remarkable season that they're having, despite having the lowest payroll in baseball, despite having one of the youngest teams in all of baseball. And while I think it's possible that they go on a run over the last 60 or so games and are able to stay in the wild card hunt within the last couple of weeks, it is still unlikely that they make the wild card, the final wild card spot. I shouldn't say game because it's no longer a game, the series. And, it just didn't make sense for their timeline to be buying at the deadline. No. And Trey Mancini is on this expiring contract. He's 30 years old, and they have a first baseman of the future in Ryan Mountcastle. It didn't make sense for what they have in-house right now and where they hope to go in 2023 and 2024 and beyond that the Orioles would be buying or simply that they would be holding on to their current pieces in the hopes of making an September run for a wild card spot. They have to keep the long-term future of the Orioles in mind here. That's what Michael Elias was hired to do, and that's what he did with this move. The Orioles are not built for this season. No. The Orioles are overperforming, and we're getting a lot of comments on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for following along. Asking about this season and being disappointed in the fact that this sets the Orioles back for the remaining months of the 2022 season, which I understand. I understand that this has been a really fun and exciting season that the Orioles have surprised a lot of people. They're winning a lot of games, way more games than people expected. Nobody thought that this team would be sniffing 500 when August rolled along. But that's the thing. This team wasn't really supposed to be here, and you can't change your entire philosophy based on how surprising the current Orioles are. I understand that maybe you can modify it a little bit, and I think that's why we're seeing some players maybe stay on the team at this deadline that might not have stayed had they not overperformed. I mean, guys like Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes over the last few seasons here have kind of locked themselves into this team for the foreseeable future. So while guys like Trey Mancini are still on the move, the Orioles, at least to our knowledge, Paul, have not been shopping Cedric Mullins or Austin Hayes, no. which is not something that you would have said a few years ago because they were quality major league players, and the philosophy at that point was to just kind of trade whatever major league talent you had to build for the future. But the future is still not this year. Yeah, The Orioles might be contending for a playoff spot next season. I think that's the hope, that you get a Grayson Rodriguez, a D.L. Hall, some of these top prospects in the organization start to come up. Maybe you sign a bigger name free agent. Who knows what the offseason plan will look like. But I think next season, especially given how this year has gone, next season you're hoping to compete for a playoff spot. And this year is a pleasant surprise. And you can't plan 
based on what the pleasantly surprising first half has been. And to reiterate a point that I made on the last podcast, if you were to rank all of the Orioles' free agency needs going into the 2022-2023 offseason, a starting first baseman would be at the very bottom of the list, perhaps the lowest of all the positions, because you have Ryan Mountcastle, who's your first baseman of the future. You have Tyler Nevin, who can play first base. You have internal options. If you We have Adley Rutschman, who can play first base, in theory hasn't done it yet at the big league level because of the logjam there. But the Orioles were not going to go out and sign a first baseman who could start this winter because they have Mountcastle. Now, perhaps they'll add depth at that spot, but Trey Mancini is going to get starting money, and he's going to get, odds are, a starting job from a team at first base somewhere this offseason. So that is a, a getting the, the Orioles getting something for him now before he walks in free agency I think was huge. Also, I want to correct myself because I did say that Chase McDermott was not ranked in the Tampa Bay top 30, according to MLB Pipeline. That's because he's not in Tampa Bay system, Brendan. That's because he's in Houston system. He, he's, yes. It's a three-team deal that involves the Rays and the Astros. So I was incorrect when I said that he was not ranked. He's the 12th ranked prospect in the Houston Astros system. McDermott, the 23-year-old righty, as mentioned, in pitching in high A, right now, according to MOB Pipeline, has 55 grades on three pitches, fastball, curveball, and slider, uh, 45-grade changeup, and 45 for control. So that's what's bringing down, like you said, that's why we saw the high walk numbers, high strikeout numbers as well, because he's got pretty good stuff. But you're looking at two farm systems. Now the Astros, their depth has been widowed a little bit, winnowed, I should say, because of trades that they've made, win now moves, but still a pretty well-regarded farm system in baseball. They are currently more on the bottom. All right, I'll go, go ahead and correct myself. They're the 29th ranked farm system in all of baseball. Yeah, so not great. So not great. But they also have a whole lot of major league talent, and they have got some win-now moves. So he is still a top-30 prospect in a farm system. So you add somebody who is the sixth-ranked prospect in a very good farm system, 12th-ranked prospect in a not-so-great farm system, it adds up to a pretty good return for Mancini. And for those asking about what the future Orioles lineup might look like without Trey Mancini, we're getting a bit of an idea in Texas today. Taron Vavra starting in left field has some outfield versatility there. Yep. And if you scroll down a little bit to the extras where you'll find the Orioles bench, there's a Diaz on that bench, Paul. My eyes just widened. Yeah. If if we were on your camera, we would have seen Paul Mancano's eyes <laughs> wide. We this There is, is a Diaz on the bench as and in a Usniel. We are I, that is the assumption. There's not a Y in front of it, but I would assume that that Diaz on the bench is none other than Usniel Diaz the former number one overall prospect in the Orioles farm system who might be making his debut. We are reacting to all of this stuff as we are seeing it, and you're getting some raw emotions. At times, you're getting some incorrect information, unfortunately. (laughs) and It's what you come to the podcast for. It's really some... Maybe we'll go back, Brendan, and we'll edit some of this out for the listeners tomorrow. Or maybe journalistic integrity. We'll keep it all in. I think... But I am (laughs) appreciative of the fact that If you're following along with us, we do appreciate it. You are learning this news as we are learning this news. So as I'm casually scrolling through Twitter, looking at the Orioles lineup, being surprised at Taron Vavra playing left field, much to my surprise, Yusniel Diaz is on the bench. Well, Taron Vavra, I know, had played center. And I remember when the Orioles first traded for him. He was a trade deadline acquisition, remember, several years ago. He got some work in center field because of his speed and because of his quickness and defensive chops there came from a baseball family. He's very 
technically sound from what I understand defensively at second base. They wanted to try a speed out in center. Trying him out in a corner outfield is certainly an interesting change. I don't know how much he's played a corner outfield per se in the minors, but that also could be due to the fact that the Orioles have had some excellent corner outfield prospects, i.e. a Robert Newstrom, i.e. a Kyle Stowers, that they probably simply did not have too much room for him over in those spots. Yeah, to my knowledge, Taron Vavra has not played a corner. Nope, I'm wrong. He has played three games yeah, in left very, field very at little. Norfolk this year. Has not played there a lot. He's played 17 games in center. So he does have some outfield experience. We thought he was going to be more of a second base center field hybrid. But to that point, we have seen the Orioles push center fielders to a corner outfield when necessary, like Austin Hayes. So the presumption is that if you can play a quality defensive center field, you can probably play a quality yeah. defensive corner outfield, which is the plan for Taron Vavra. But, Paul, you and I had talked a lot about a potential Trey Mancini trade and the fact that Kyle Stowers would probably be brought up almost immediately. I am pretty surprised that it was not Kyle Stowers, but Yusniel Diaz, who is now here. Now, Yusniel Diaz was not hitting great. I believe he had three three homers on the season with AAA Norfolk. Had a 677 OPS hitting 234. But I, the time is now for Yusniel Diaz. It is. He is on the 40-man roster. Kyle Stowers is not. He was added to the 40-man roster two years ago. He's 25, turning 26 in October. And similarly to Ryland Bannon, who also was acquired in the Manny Machado trade back in 2018 from the L.A. Dodgers system, the time is now. It's now or never for a Yusniel Diaz. And the Orioles have been very high He's on his tools. He is, in theory, a five-tool player. He has speed. He has an arm in one of the corner outfield. They've touted his ability to, in theory, play center field, although he hasn't been asked to do that a whole lot. He has power. He's incredibly strong. And he can hit for average. We just have not seen him do that in quite a while. And it's not do that right. in the Orioles system. And frankly, we haven't seen him do a whole lot because of the injuries that he has incurred. But Brendan, this also brings us to kind of where the Orioles go from here. Because now they have more space at first base. They have a different lineup that Brandon Hyde can tinker with. I tend to think that Tyler Nevin is going to be your backup first baseman. Yeah, I think it's possible that we see Adley Rutschman at first base at some point over the coming months. I think we could see Anthony Santander there as well. We could. He has been taking reps at first base. Or we could see Anthony Santander traded in the next 24 hours. We could. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up first base because I do want to answer some questions on Facebook, one of which was about a backup first baseman. A backup first baseman is not a huge need. They've been kind of flip-flopping Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle at first just because they want to keep both of those guys fresh defensively. I would just anticipate that Ryan Mountcastle plays first base defensively really most of the time because a backup first baseman defensively is not totally necessary. It's not a completely strenuous position no. at first base. You're not doing a lot of running. But like you said, I think we can see some combination of Adley Rutschman maybe Anthony Santander, Tyler Nevin, all three of those guys probably can play first base, and I think they will be the backups when needed. One other question was about Austin Hayes. He is not in the lineup tonight. Somebody was asking if Austin Hayes could be on the move. I would imagine not. I, I can't imagine that the Orioles would trade Austin Hayes because I think this is just a normal rest day. I cannot remember the last time that Austin Hayes had an off day. He filled in for Cedric Mullins in center field 
yesterday. So I think this is just a scheduled rest day for Austin Hayes. You're also trying to get Taron Vavra in the lineup, and they stick him in left field as well. Yeah, I would not panic about Austin Hayes. I would assume that this is just a normal rest day. And it is 5.30 right now on the East Coast, and assuming a lot of things will get cleared up in Brandon Hyde's pregame media availability when he talks with the media in a couple hours because Orioles play just after 8 o'clock Eastern time. So probably a lot of these questions will be answered if you're listening back to this uh, after the fact. So, Brendan, to kind of put a bow on things for the meantime, yeah, I just want to kind of recap essentially what the Orioles are losing in Trey Mancini and what they're getting back. And I think the loss of somebody who has been incredibly impactful in the Baltimore community, who has been a face of the franchise, who has been a model citizen, who has loved Baltimore, and Baltimore has loved him back, is hard to do. The Orioles are losing a leader in the clubhouse, somebody who at a difficult time in the franchise history embraced the role of leadership and mentorship for some of the younger players in baseball. Somebody who Brandon Hyde said he wants to coach, manage for the next 10 years who because wouldn't? of how great he is. And somebody from our perspective, from a media perspective, was nothing but graceful, was nothing but gracious, talking to media members, uh, doing interviews, talking after tough losses, talking during personal struggles. And I give him all the credit in the world. I wish him the best in Houston. Um, and I know that uh, he's going to be as well-loved, perhaps not doesn't have as much history with their fan base, but he's going to be as well-liked by teammates, by fans in Houston as he was in Baltimore, and I wish him the best going forward. Yeah, kind of an overused expression to say that somebody was a good baseball player and a better person. Yeah. I tried to avoid that earlier. Very seldom is it applicable, like it's applicable with Trey Mancini. Just think about it statistically. He's one of the, what, 100, 300 best players, maybe 200 best players, baseball players in the world. Does that mean he's one of the 200 best people in the world? He might be. He might be. I wouldn't put it past Trey Mancini. Honestly, I, I, who am I to, to doubt Trey Mancini's, uh, right. just his personality, his warmth, his kindness. Uh, I, I give the guy all the compliments in the world when it comes to who he is off the field. But as you mentioned, Paul, just from a media perspective, an absolute joy to cover, yep. a joy to talk to was always the nicest guy, as respectful as could be. And I sincerely hear every single fan who doesn't really care about the return. I get it. Yeah, This is the heart and soul of the team. You could argue that he is kind of the heart and soul in terms of Baltimore athletes in general right now. And I hear every fan that is upset and saddened by the fact that Trey Mancini will not be on this team for the rest of the year. From a baseball perspective, I think the return is really better than I was even expecting in terms of getting the number six prospect in the Rays system, the number 12 prospect in the Astros system, with the Rays system being very, very good, the Astros system not so much. Those kind of balance out almost, it seems like. So you get two exciting pitching prospects in return for this deal. It's It's still hard. It is. You're still losing somebody who is a fantastic veteran presence, somebody who has been a huge part of this very surprising Orioles season of pushing this team towards a wild card race. But personally, Paul, I am just so glad and so happy for Trey Mancini for two reasons. One, that he was able to be a part of this really surprising season so far this year. 
I mean, the fact that he was with this organization throughout the entire rebuild at times was a painful rebuild and is kind of almost seeing the Orioles off into this new era of Baltimore baseball, of getting them through the struggles and seeing this light at the end of the tunnel. He was here to send them off, and he was the guy through it all. And I know how much it meant to Trey Mancini to be a part of this run this year, and we wish Trey the best. I hope he goes to win a World Series with Houston. He deserves it. He deserves a great playoff run, and the Astros are getting a fantastic baseball player, and they are getting so many other things along with it. Deserves to win, deserves to experience the joy of that, deserves a good contract in the offseason. That he does. Everything that he has gone through and wish him the absolute best going forward. You think about who the faces of the franchise have been over the last three years, and it's Trey Mancini, it's John Means, and it's Cedric Mullins, and I would probably put Trey Mancini at the top of that list. Yeah. He has been consistently on the field. He's been nothing but excellent in the community, um, and he has always spoken for the team at times when the team has needed a representative. And I give him all the credit in the world going forward. And I will say as well, I think when you are looking at the next few seasons of Orioles baseball and hopefully seeing some success, if you are looking at young players who came up this year and or developed this year and just grew as both players on and off the field, I think a lot of the success over the next few years has to be credited to Trey Mancini. I think that was well said. We will have continued coverage of the trade deadline because we still have a day left. We still have 24 yeah. hours left uh, before the deadline itself. Who else could be on the move from the Baltimore Orioles? Who else could they acquire? Keep locked on to at Mass and Orioles on all of your social media feeds. At Paul Mancano is my Twitter handle. At Brandon Morty is his. Orioles still have a game tonight as well. They play in Texas at uh, 8 o'clock. Those extra starts at 7.30. We will have complete coverage of that as well. So. Yeah. Stay locked on to the Masson app, MassonSports.com. Thanks so much for commenting along. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we will have a trade deadline show tomorrow. So join us live for that as well, right around uh, 5.45, right around 6 o'clock when the deadline occurs. Thanks so much to Tim Leonard for the, producing this podcast. We'll catch you next time.